electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And right now on Fast, the crude climb. Oil booming above 120 bucks a barrel. It's now surged 60% this year. The ripple impact on inflation in the market straight ahead. Plus, summer, bummer, rising rates, taking a bite out of the builders. The pandemic-fueled housing boom coming to an end. Later, pouring profit. Shares of Brown Foreman surging. I'll tell you which bourbon brand is helping fuel booze-filled Bonanza. And I'm not just talking about the show. I'm Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live for the NASDAQ market site on your desk tonight. Dan Nathan on my left, Guy Adami, Bono and Eisen, Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. All right, let's jump right in. So much to get to tonight, but let's start with this. Energy and interest rates. Two big moves sending two major parts of the market in different directions. Oil prices climbing yet again, topping 122 bucks. The highest close since that crazy day back on March 8th. Gas prices also rising. The national average closing in on five bucks. In California, the average is now $6.39. Think about it. You have a 20-gallon gas tank, it's $130 to fill up, and that's with normal unleaded. These moves fueling energy stocks. Exxon and Chevron hitting all-time highs. Check this out. Exxon's gained $300 billion in market value in just 26 Months, it has really been the year of the fossil fuel comeback. Meantime, a different story for corporate credit. The HYG, the biggest high-yield bond ETF, dropping as bank stocks also got dumped. The big bank ETF, KBX, posting its lowest close in a week with 98 of 99 components down. My math says that's nearly all the components. A little bit scary. So, Guy Adami, energy rising, banks falling. What does that tell you? And what do we do about it? Hey, Sully. Um, well, look, energy rising. Now everybody seems to be talking about it. I know for a fact, you know, Pete was talking about this last summer. I know on Fast Money we were talking about it with Tim uh, in the summer, into the fall. Now everybody seems to be talking about it. Obviously for good reason. What does it tell me? Well, it's not particularly good. Apparently the energy market didn't get the memo for the Fed. So while you have softening data across the board, you have energy prices that continue to grind higher. And I think that's why interest rates are going up. I don't think it's particularly bullish for the broader market. In terms of the energy stocks, I'll say this. Valero, all-time high today. Marathon Petroleum, all-time high today. You mentioned Exxon. Maybe now that everybody's talking about them, it's time to take a breather. And maybe you could see a back and fill. In the form of Valero, maybe the prior all-time high of 120. That was the summer of 2018. MPC, the summer of 2018, 85 bucks. But these names, don't mistake it. They are still in play. Pete, here's the weird thing about oil and gas stocks, is that they may not be riding any kind of economic trend. And I say that because when economies go down, investment in new capital spending may also go down. And oil's all-time high adjusted inflation was 2008. Oil stocks actually performed well as the rest of pretty much everything else dumped out. But do you feel like we might get close to a top or can oil stocks continue to run? 
You know, they, they could pause here, but I, I continue to be very long, and so I think they're going higher, Sully. As a matter of fact, it seems like everybody's got whatever metrics they're using right now, but I see a lot of different folks who have been reaching out to me talking about 140 is the next level. So is it? I don't know. We'll find out pretty soon. We got up to 120 before. We pulled back. That was a very, very – that's exactly what you want to see if you're looking, whether it's a stock or, in this case, a commodity. But you want to see a little bit of a back and fill. You want to see a little bit of a pullback. Nothing goes straight up forever. So we'd had that big move to 120. We pulled back. Then we started to make this move again. We not only got to 120. Here we are at 122.50 or 60-something. And I think that we might actually break a little bit higher, and then we might pull back. But I think eventually we will get to that 140 number. So, you know, Sully, when you look at all the different things, and you know oil better than any guy I know, but there are so many different reasons why the price just keeps going higher and higher. We know that there's great demand. We know about all the different pipelines and everything else that's going on in the world, of some of the things that have stopped. But nonetheless, this is going to be a really, really interesting ride. And it's not just a ride for that. Uh, for, for crude, it's also a ride for nat gas. It did pull back late in the day, but nat gas getting up towards nine and a half, it did pull back. It got back underneath nine. But still, I think when you look at the energy components right now, you are seeing a lot of demand, and we just don't have enough. Yeah, I just say this, you know, with you look at the energy space and what percentage it is of the S&P 500, you and I were just talking about it, about 5%. That's great if you own energy stocks, you're heavily kind of, you know, levered to that space, but it's a disaster for the S&P 500. It's a disaster for our economy. You started out this segment by saying that interest rates are going higher. Interest rates are going higher because they're trying to battle inflation, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Fed is successful in doing that, you might see oil come in. But for all the reasons that Pete and Guy just mentioned, you might see it stay elevated, right? In an elevated rate environment, but you might see that situation that we've been talking about a little bit with stagflation because it hits growth. And you know what? We have some data here. Last night, Marco Kalanovic came on from JP Morgan. He said he thinks that you could see crude oil at $150 this year, but you could also see the S&P 500 back to its highs. That would make it basically unchanged on the year. At its lows, it was down 20% a couple weeks ago. Right now, it's down 13.5%. I do not see that happening. If you look at 50 years of data, every time you have seen crude oil rise 50% above its trend, uh-huh. and that goes back to 08, 2000, 1990, you know the math, 1980, 1974, a recession followed, and that's why I think stocks really should not be focused on the 5% of the group that's doing really well. They should be registering all of these companies that are starting to lay off companies, that are starting to guide down, that are starting to get worried about the dollar, input cost margins, inventories, the list. Yeah, not, so you're not just talking, and to be clear, you're not talking right now just about oil and gas no, companies. You know why I'm you're not? about retailers. You know why I'm not? Because it's 5% of the S&P 500, and who cares, unless you really index to just that sector. Well, speaking of five, we're going to talk about five below in just a few minutes. I, don't, I, I can't do that. But that's we're going right. to do it. It's okay. called 10 the hard way. Bonham and I said, your take, oil and gas stocks, <laughs> heck of a run. I mean, does everybody start to, to guys point at the top? Suddenly everybody, they loved oil and gas stocks. Remember that? Everybody. Two years ago, they said, bye, man. It's going to be the year. I'm kidding, obviously. What's your take now? What do we do? Uh, well, you know, I, I think um, I'm going to sing a similar tune to what Dan just said. Listen, I'm going to focus on like the broader market and how oil kind of fits into that. I think what you're seeing is people looking for a, a safe haven. Where can I actually deploy capital? Where can I park money and maybe not make a ton, but at least like not have my capital base or corpus erode? And I do think at least for now in the interim, oil does fit that bill. Because it's, it's a bit decoupled from everything else that's going on. Monetary and fiscal policy is one thing, but 
But the events in uh, Ukraine and Russia are contributing to this. The, the, the reopening of China is contributing to this. There's a global story around here in terms of demand and, and supply and demand constraints. So, you know, I don't think you can really have one without, without the other. Yes. Do I think that on a relative basis, oil probably continues to perform? Yes. But to Dan's point, if that's the case, that's probably pretty bearish for the overall market. So in that lens, I think it's probably the most constructive, that along with healthcare, yeah. of the spaces that you want to be. But I would be, be cautious of getting bulled up on the back of just the oil trade. OK, before we go to our guest, I want to go back to Guy, because Guy, you were very generously, as you are, by the way, a very generous guy, literally talking up some of your colleagues You've been talking about Schlumberger. I mean, what do I fill in on this show every couple of years? And you've been talking about Schlumberger since I had more hair. I mean, so give yourself a little pat on the back as well. But when we look at this oil complex guy, do you think it's going to be the servicers, the SLBs, the HALs, uh, or the refineries, or see all the above? Yeah, that's fair. And I appreciate that. That's not what we do on the show, as you know. But I'll say this in terms of the OIH and the names you just mentioned. I want to say 40% of the OIH is comprised by Halliburton, Schlumberger, and to a lesser extent, Baker Hughes. All those companies are run much better now than they were basically in the heyday of crude, let's call it 10, 15 or so years ago. So they're better run companies, better balance sheets, at better valuations. So can these names continue to go higher? Yeah, and OIH, I think, made a new um, 52-week high today pulled back a little bit, but absolutely. But now, again, I'll say it. The fact that everybody is now talking about energy is somewhat problematic, and, you know, maybe that's a short-term bell ring on a top. But, again, by no means I want to emphasize this. Do I think this is over? You could release every barrel from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and we'd still have a problem. You know why? And I know you know this, Brian. Refineries are running at full capacity, and they ain't making them anymore. So, we just sort of got to grin and bear it, unfortunately, as a consumer. But if you long these stocks, it's a really good thing. What's amazing, Guy, and you're talking about the OIH, is that if you, and thank you guys, by, by the way, ask for a five-year chart, perfect, move quick. If you look at a five-year chart of the OIH against crude oil, the OIH was at $1,100 a share when crude oil was less than it is now, Guy. So I'll go, just quickly go back to you. Something seems off here, either oil prices are going to collapse sometime soon or the OIH is wildly undervalued. It's hard to know because the disconnect and we're showing our viewers on this chart right now is staggering. Yeah, I don't want to embargo this, but I'll say it's to Dan's point. When they were at those levels, oil was a much bigger component of the broader market. It's a much lesser component now. That's part of it. I think the other part is I don't think equity investors believe the commodity move And now as they start to believe it, you're starting to see these, I don't want to say parabolic moves, but these significant moves in these uh, equities. I'll say this. I think crude oil can go sideways for the next year, and I think these stocks can continue to grind higher with crude at this price. So you're spot on for mentioning that. But I just don't, I think it's a more of a factor. People just don't believe it yet. Yeah, and you wonder if they start to believe it or are forced to believe it, they're going to pile into it. We'll see. All right. Well, one top analyst sees major producer troubles driving oil prices even higher. Scott Hanold is RBC's managing director of exploration and production research. Tip ranks. The Scott is one of the top three most accurate analysts. Got some smaller cap picks for us here. And by the way, RBC had a conference. I was at a conference today. It was their conference. And yesterday right. you had former OPEC secretary general speak with our friend Ali McCroft. And Mohammed Barkindo said something that caught my eye. I mean, he he looked glum. In terms of spare, he said there's no spare capacity, maybe a couple million barrels 
globally, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. He seemed more serious than I've seen him in more than 10 years. I've known him for 10 years. What's your macro takeaway from that and your conference generally? Yeah, I mean, you, you said that surprised you, and I'll tell you what, it surprised all of us. It surprised the investors there, and it surprised the corporates. We had, you know, roughly 100 corporate execs from big energy companies. They were all shocked at what he said. And, and look, I'll tell you this, is that I think it's, you know, to the point that you made, investors, I think, now are going to have to start believing higher oil prices are, are here to stay, at least for, you know, some duration. Um, when we look at the macro, big picture is that U.S. exploration production companies are not ramping up production, and not because they don't want to. There's logistical supply chain constraints out there. They're real. They're in the energy patch. And you couple that with a service cost increase. Um, nobody's running out there and trying to get too active right now, and they can't if they wanted to. So, you know, any kind of material growth, I mean, we're looking at, you know, maybe the back half of 23 at this point. So we think fundamentals, you know, warrant $100 oil for a while. And, and to Guy's point, and answer sort of Guy's sort of question that he, that he posed, let's say oil falls. Let's say oil goes back down to 100 bucks a barrel, okay, or stays at 120 for the next two years. Does that mean the stocks stay or fall, or can the stocks like ROCC, California Resources, CRC, you like, can they keep going up even if oil does not? Yeah, and I think they can, but I think it becomes a little bit more tactical at this point, right? If you look at the last 9 to 12 months, it's all been large cap leadership, right? The big names have been leading the charge, and the small caps have been left behind. So we do think when you look at free cash flow yields that are now reaching 25 30%, for the small cap group, there could be a move to the small cap names. And, and we like our OCC, Ranger Oil, as, as well as CRC in the small cap group right now that look very, very cheap. So Brian just said this, that ExxonMobil, going back to mega caps here, okay, it, it literally has gained 100% in the last year, or really from last summer or so. That's $200 billion in market cap. is right back at those 2014 highs. In 2014, the Fed was doing the same thing they're doing right now. They're trying to normalize interest rate policy. So we had the dollar rally, and that was the top in crude, and we saw it come down. And then we had plenty of growth scares throughout. What's different this time? Well, you know, Why is it? Because every recession as we just said, has been preceded by a move like this in oil. And I know we can come up with a million reasons what's going on in Europe and China coming back on, but I just don't see it happening too differently right now. Yeah, and and I'm probably the last person to ask, is it going to be different this time? Because I'm always like, it's never different. It's always the same. But this time is different because if you go back historically, oil and gas companies didn't make money. They didn't make cash flow, right? You have high oil prices, costs are high, you spend a lot of money, you burn cash. That was I was going to say, Scott, can I correct you? They did not just make money. They literally threw a pile of money into a fire, <laughs> threw gas on it, lit it on fire. Not the large integrated. That's not true. I mean, so these are 10 years. Profitable. They burned through investor capital. That's why, right? I mean, nobody... I was going to say something. I should give Zay something anymore. I think some, some of the larger, more integrated companies globally it had better discipline, not some of the smaller um, the exploration production focused companies. But now these, these companies are producing a lot of free cash flow. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost ridiculous. Like when you talk about 25 to 30 percent free cash flow yield, think about that. You have $100 oil. That means a company effectively you know, can, can give you the value of, of the entire company in four years. Back in just cash. 
Yeah, but that's assuming that crude stays here. And so, again, going back to why it's not different is that, you know, crude is literally going to it's going to make this move. Everyone's convinced it's going to 150. So it's going to go to 150 and then it's going to crash the global economy and the demand's going to fall off. And then it's going to come in and all these people piling into ExxonMobil up 100 percent of the year. with a 450 billion dollar market cap at all time highs are going to be able to look back and be like, oh, my goodness, that was the mother of all triple tops, head and shoulders, whatever you want. I mean, like, it's just the way it's going to be. I don't mean to sound so certain about it, but. But I think piling into these names right now doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Talking about your OIH, and Guy just talked about it, Slob, Hal, Baker, make up about 50% of the weight of that. Look at a log chart over 20 years, you see it's breaking out above that downtrend. There's probably a case to be made there if there's going to be greater investment, but I don't see it as far as the large integrators are concerned. Yeah, it, it's a volatile sector, and I'll give you there will be opportunities to step. You know, the companies will pull back. That's when I think you got to step up. But fundamentally, there, there is still more value. Um, you know, I think that's that's a reality because in the prior spikes in price we had, like when we saw $150 back in 2008, that was a spike, and it came down pretty pretty quick after that, right? Because and, to Dan's point, I mean, well, yeah. housing contributed to yeah. subprime crisis. Yeah. But for the last four whatever recessions were preceded by higher energy costs. So I think that's the worry. How long does it stay yeah. high? But we're looking at names like ROCC and CRC. I think we got to be tactical. We got to look at some smid caps that have been left behind. Um, and those are where I'd want to put my uh, next dollars. Good stuff. Scott Ennell, RBC. Thanks for, by the way, thanks for having CBC at your conference. Absolutely. Appreciate be it. Be there Thank next you. year. Just do it in like Miami or uh, <laughs> Austin or Houston. Anyway, all right. Let's trade this here. I mean, Pete, okay. So I think to Dan's point, okay, and Dan can speak for himself, but I think to his point, it's that do we crack? We're getting signs of weakness, retailers, whatever. You know, we did on Worldwide Exchange the other day this strategist point where you get the rule of 10. When mortgage rates and gas prices mm-hmm. add up to more than 10, it tends to proceed or maybe cause a recession. We're there now, five on mortgages, five plus on, on gas. Are you worried that this will cause a crash or a slowdown in the U.S. and global economies? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that's got to be a concern. How could it not be? But, you know, the, the one thing I'd like to point out to you guys, when everybody wants to go to these other different areas, whether it's the OIH or whatever, the XLE or, or something, I would always encourage you to look at the XOP. Now, um, the, the reason that I say that is the, the, the exploration companies, these have been absolutely ripping. And it's not just something that just started, guys. If you look at the XOP, Take a look at that chart. You can put that up against any of the other energy charts, and you're going to see a huge outperformance. Why is that? Because those are the beta names within energy. Those are the high two, three, four, fives. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. The Diamondbacks of the world, the Occidentals of the world, all of those. So, you know, I think you've got to also be very selective on where do you want to be, and, and you have to understand to Dan's point, at some point this will slow down or stop, and then we'll see this all pull back. You've got to be very, very tactical and very smart and very disciplined because that day will come. We have no idea when that day comes. But I'll tell you what, these names have absolutely been performing to almost perfection to the upside. And as great yeah. as Chevron's been, as great as Exxon's been, take a look at some of those other names. Yeah, well, perfection is a tough word. All right, well, we, let's move aside from that. We hit this a moment ago. We mentioned it. Five below. Shares are dropping. They're down 6%. A company posted a miss on revenue saying first quarter sales were softer than expected. And Guy Adami, we're starting to get these retailers talking about, you know, oh, suddenly they've got too much. Couldn't get any inventory a year ago. Now suddenly they got too much. 
54.3% year-over-year increase in inventories of five below. I'll say that again, 54.3%. Mm. It's, it's astronomical, and I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on five below. It just happens to be the company du jour, as they say. We saw a similar with Target. Obviously, Walmart, their inventories were a disaster. So for some of those retailers, I'm sure when they see things like this, they're collectively breathing a sigh of relief because it's not just them. The problem is... What does this say about the state of the consumer and what's going on? And when people have to now decide to between purchasing some of these larger durable goods or feeding their family and putting gasoline in their cars, I think you understand where it's going to go. So it's not a five below story necessarily. It's a story about yeah. what's happening out there right now. And it's not going to be. Listen, this isn't the first one, clearly, and I guarantee it won't be the last one. Yeah, and I guess my confusion, Bonwin, is this. Uh, and look at, by the way, Target, TGT. I mean, it, it was hailed as this amazing company until a couple weeks ago. Now the stock's been pretty much a disaster. Are we seeing the beginning of a consumer-led slowdown? Or are we simply seeing companies screwing it up? You know, they, they couldn't get the inventory. They panicked. They bought everything they could. And now they're sitting on too much inventory. They're going to have to discount. They're going to take it at the margin. But it has nothing to do with a weaker consumer. I actually, I have no idea at this point. What's your thought? Uh, well, they're going to take it on the chin, and it's for two reasons. We are seeing weakness in the consumer in terms of certain spots. And we've all pointed to the savings rates and all of those things and, and, and wealth build through housing. So I'm not going to you know, speak at those ad nauseum. But you're also seeing some operational inefficiencies. It's easier when you're behind the ball to kind of order and assume. What you're seeing is a pretty drastic shift in consumer demand sector by sector in terms of like what basket of goods that they want. And you're seeing some operational challenges in terms of being able to meet that. So no, it's not just a five below story. It's probably not just a Target and Walmart story either, but I would assume that they have pretty good read through on the consumer. Think about all the goods that they sell. And if they're struggling with this, I don't think it's an isolated event by any means. All right. Well, it's something to watch, certainly in five below, down six and a half percent. All right. On deck, we've got results from Investopedia's latest survey. We know you're pumped and we're going to lay out the top concerns of investors. But first, shares of Intel getting fried after a bearish call from a top bank. I'll tell you what, an analyst unplugging Intel. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Intel shares gut punch today, down another 5%. Citigroup saying their bear case is taking shape even earlier than they thought. It is our call of the day. And 
You know, Dan, at 41 bucks, Intel shares have wiped out five years of returns. The last time we saw this kind of price, October 2017. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Even with AMD's decline since its highs just about six months ago or so, these companies are literally matched up at market cap about $165 billion um, each, which is pretty fascinating. I think a lot of people who follow this industry for a very long time um, are going to be very surprised to see the flippening, if you will. But here's the other thing. You know, we've been talking about a lot of these mega cap names and specifically more cyclical areas of, um, you know, the supply chain uh, as it relates to semiconductors. And, you know, the idea that, like you said it before with a lot of these retailers, you saw a lot of OEMs doubling ordering chips and you saw all of the shortages that, you know, throughout the pandemic. And really, it just felt like if they were still doing this late last year, early this year, they're probably doing it wrong, if you will. And so Intel, of course, one of the weakest links, they've been losing market share to AMD and some of their other um, competitors here. Um, it's not surprising that this sort of warning is coming out from them. It seems like a soft warning. They're not putting any numbers around it. But this is when companies like in the semiconductor space, used to give their mid-quarter uh, mm -hmm. updates. So this is what's going on. We're going to see a lot more of it. I suspect we're going to see some pre-announcements before the end of the quarter. Wow. You know, Guy, listen, Apple booted Intel. They're going with their own chip, the M2 as well. That's fundamental. I know it's a big deal. This is a stock that looks like it's in trouble. I, I, it's, it's getting crushed. It's long before Apple, though. I mean, and again, I, I'm going to get on Intel here, but this is Intel specific. The world passed them by the same way the world passed IBM by. Remember, IBM was everybody wanted to be IBM for years. And then very quickly, the world changed and they were forced to make an acquisition. They probably overpaid for Red Hat, but they needed to do it. Same thing's happening with Intel now. They didn't see the they didn't see the competition coming in the form of AMD. They didn't see the changing landscape and they're paying for it now. You look at Qualcomm, by the way, just to throw a name out, a name that's trading at about 10 times next year's numbers, I think a much better company at a reasonable valuation. I think you can be there. People will say own Intel on valuation. They've been saying that literally for the last five years, and it really hasn't panned out all that well. Yeah, quickly, Pete, is this a stock that people hang on to too long because they know it? To the guy's point, it's like, oh, it's Intel. Yes. It has to come back. <laughs> the answer is yes, it's really easy. And I'm one of them, unfortunately, Brian. I've owned this stock for a long time, not just because the fundamentals look so great, but also because I really thought under the management they had, they were going to be able to move out and start to compete again. That has not happened. That's a big issue. And they've got all so much focus on building the factories and everything, which is great. But that's years in the works. So, unfortunately, they're going to be spinning their wheels for quite some time. Mm. And I think continuing to lose that market share. So, Unfortunately, I don't, I don't see this looking very bright right now for Intel's future. Your guy wouldn't do it, but you got on Intel. There you go. Pete, thank you very much. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Are we really? Anyway, here's what's coming up next. Inflation. Geopolitical tensions. There's a lot to be worried about these days. So what's on investors' minds? The details next. Plus, a big bounce from China Tech. The KWEB ETF surging into the green. So how are options traders playing the move? The action ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks breaking their two-day win streak today, two days, with all three major indexes closing well in the red. Fell on 269 on the Dow. Investors anxiously awaiting Friday's CPI number. That is consumer inflation. And we say that we're talking about CPI because inflation ranking is the number one concern for market watchers by far. We know that because at the top of the latest Investopedia survey. For more now on that survey... Let's bring in Investopedia Editor-in-Chief Caleb Silver. This was not inflation by a nose. This was secretariat blowing away everything else. Yeah, and it's not a surprise. Everybody's worrying about it. Everybody's feeling it. And investors, our readers, are like, this is going to catch up eventually if it hasn't already with my returns. It's already eaten into a lot of them. So they're very anxious. Where's Mel Brooks? We need him because anxiety is super high among our readers right now. Yeah, the only thing that makes me nervous is anxiety. 57% say they are worried about recent market events. 25% say are very worried. Okay, so those sound scary. How do they compare to past surveys? Yeah, a little bit higher. And we have a new one, which is the Fed reducing its balance sheet, which we all know is taking place this week. So they're worried about that now, too. But they're worried about everything under the sun, not doing a ton, but worrying a lot. Anxiety high, action pretty low. Caleb, you've been in this business for a long time, and it's kind of interesting. You know, a lot of smart investors watch um, investor sentiment right now, and it seems like investors are really, really bearish, which some strategists think is really, really bullish. I'm just (laughs) curious what your take is right now, because it seems like every investor I talk to is really worried about worst case scenarios. And most strategists look at that same data and they say, that's why stocks are going back up. Yeah, that's that contrarian indicator that we look for in the bull and bear survey. In our survey, this time it feels a little bit different because the future doesn't look anything like the past. Rates are rising. Inflation's here. It's sticking around. And this notion of if I bet on the biggest, baddest growth stocks out there, I'm going to be fine, is just not working anymore. And if you look at their top holdings, they are the biggest, baddest megatechs out there, mega caps out there. The same thing you said earlier. People get used to these names. They assume they're coming back. It's going to be a hard, long road for these stocks. Caleb, I really appreciate you joining. Uh, just a quick question in terms of Fed shrinking the balance sheet or allowing a balance sheet to run off. Is there a reason why you believe that that is like a newer concern for, for investors and it's kind of seemingly been lost in the shuffle vis-a-vis some of the other risks that they perceive? Yeah, well, the, the sirens around inflation are blaring so loud. We know these interest rates are going to be on the rise. We've known that for months. The Fed's been pretty transparent about that and the balance sheet as well. But until we start talking about it a lot in the media on shows like this and throughout financial media, it doesn't really take that mind space until they start to see it happen and the Fed speaks about it more. They know it's occurring right now. This is new to the list and it would surprise me because it ranked so high among their concerns. I was going to ask you, what was your 
your biggest, you do these all the time, they're great. What, what was your biggest surprise takeaway from this? Yeah, they're scared, they're anxious, but not doing a lot. A lot of investors are just staying put because either they're passively invested, they're stuck in the index funds they've been in for a long time, they're stuck with the stocks they've been in for a long time, so not moving much. Those that are moving are moving to safer plays. ETFs, we talked about it the last time I was on this show. ETFs and cash, they want to broaden their risk and diversify it a little bit, but they don't want to move out of the big names that got them here. Yeah, well, and maybe maybe Warren Buffett would be happy about that, right? Yeah. Buy, hold, no transaction fees, cheap expense costs, ride it out. Caleb Silver, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, tequila and tobacco. And that is not just the commercial break. <laughs> All right, we're kidding. But are we? <laughs> but we are trading some of these so-called sin stocks. The details coming up ahead. Plus... China Tech getting a big bump lately. The K-Web surging nearly 6% today. Is it too late to get in? Here's going to break it down when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. If you own Chinese tech stocks, you made money today. K-Web China Internet ETF jumping nearly 6%, the highest close since February. The move coming after Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said reducing tariffs on China would be, quote, Worth considering and the options and these names also went into a frenzy. Mike Co joining us now with some of the action. We say frenzy. What does that mean, Mike? When I say frenzy, we're saying that all of these names really were trading multiples of their average daily volume. Alibaba is probably the most prominent. It traded more than five times its average daily options volume, over a million contracts in total. One of only three stocks that actually achieved that. The busiest options were the weekly 120 calls, but the ones that stuck out to me were actually the January 150s. We saw a buyer of 4575 of those calls pay $6.70 a contract. That's risking a little over $3 million in premium on a bullish bet that Alibaba's run is far from over and could rally more than 30% in the next seven and a half months or so. Several other Chinese names also extremely busy. And as you pointed out, K-Web and also FXI, another Chinese ETF, seeing a lot of activity today. Okay, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, Pete, your thoughts? I mean, this was a disaster to start the year. Suddenly it's it's back in vogue and on fire again. It's kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been about the last month or so where we've started to see the Chinese names absolutely start ripping to the upside, and they certainly have. When you look back and you see where something like FXI or Asher or some of the different ETFs that are out there, it really is very clear that there's been a huge uh, a swell of buyers coming back into there. So when you look at something like FXI, we had some huge paper in there today as well. Another Chinese ETF, all the big caps in this particular one, names like Baba, names like Tencent. But today they had the July 33 calls. They sold 80,000 of them, Brian, because they'd already bought those weeks ago. They performed extremely well. But you know what? They're not out of the trade. They actually rolled up and they bought the July 36 calls. They bought 80,000 of those as well. So it just shows you that's a smart trader who wants to continue to, to ride this wave to the upside, but taking some profits off the table. I love when I see that. So I actually did participate in that trade as well today. Bonwin? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Like, ultimately, people are going to look for underperformers for, to, to kind of park some cash, right? And I think it's, it's got to go beyond just buying what's underperformed. This has been a sector that's been hit 
uh, which performance has been hit because of regulatory and and tariff and things of that nature. I think it bodes well for them. I think it also bodes well for domestic um, alternative energy type of companies. So I can there's a there's a real fundamental case for why there is some upside here. And that's what I think you ultimately are going to look for in a Dow market when you're concerned about global growth and other areas of the market. Dan. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about this. They seem kind of uninvestable. You know, like they've been very tradable. Guy said this the other day. He's like, yes, you know, with the regulation overhang and maybe it's gone for a while here. Um, great trading stocks. Pete just mentioned all that options activity. Mike Coe's been all over it here. So if you were kind of trying to define your risk and pick a bottom in those sorts of things, you did pretty well right here. But it's really hard to make a case why you want to own Baba or DD or PDD or any of these names, given what we've seen that the regulatory environment has done to their equity value over the last couple of years. Yeah, because China, Xi Jinping could change his mind tomorrow. Correct. And just crack down, and all of a sudden they're down another 20%. Correct, Sully. I want to own Alibaba at an auto parts company, because then we'll have Baba O'Reilly. <laughs> For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show that is Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, coming up, Sin Stocks on tap. One name in high spirits, the other burned <clears throat> out a bit. More on that next. And throughout June, we are celebrating Pride Month. Here's New York Times columnist James Stewart. When I was coming of age, the conventional wisdom was that half, if not more, of all career fields were closed off to someone who was known to be gay. And I always took the assumption that, you know, well, that may be true, but I'm not going to limit myself. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Be ambitious. Think big. Do not assume that you are going to be cut off from the opportunities simply because you are part of a sexual minority. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have got a duel of sin stocks moving in different directions. Liquor maker Brown Foreman Pope finishing almost 4% higher after reporting better than expected results and guidance. The CEO joined Power Lunch today. The spirits business has been solid through this pandemic. It's been very volatile. You've seen ups and downs. We've seen consumers move from restaurants um, to the off-premise and then back again. So you've had... You've had tremendous volatility, but tremendous resilience, um, and the business has hung together. And- Meantime, Altria dropping more than 8% after Morgan Stanley downgrading the stock, saying that inflation is having an impact on cigarette demand. Guy Adami, your take on one, both, none. Well, I mean, I just want to give a quick shout out to the, all the people watching from San Aquito High School, um, Brian. Just I do pay attention, by the way. Brown Foreman has this major double bottom if you go back and look for you technicians out there. And I think valuation-wise, you can make a compelling case. What I will say, if you want to be in the space, and we've said this for a while, Constellation Brands is a place to be, STZ symbol there. Recently made an all-time highs, pulled back, still reasonable valuation, and oh, by the way, I don't know if Tim is watching or not, but you get that cannabis portion as well. So space is clearly in play. Constellation is where I would go. And by San Diego, and we were talking about it in the break because Eddie Vetter of Pearl Jam and I went to the same middle. Valley Junior High School in Carlsbad, Cali. Two things, go Vikings, came out at me and Eddie Vetter. He's a lot better at everything than I am. Bono, and your, your take on the Altria liquor trade. Uh, yeah, so you know what? I'll, I'll kind of compare and contrast these two, right? I think you, when you think of cigarettes and liquor, you kind of think 
about them being countercyclical and having some inelasticity of demand and kind of being able to perform through various market cycles. My key takeaway, and you mentioned it earlier in the segment, you, you showed the clip. Later on in that segment, he speaks about the, the impact that the reopening of restaurants and bars has had. And I think when you juxtapose those two, that's an effect that, is, that has happened on Brown Foreman that has not happened on Altria. Uh, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I, I re- relatively think of MO as a safer play when I'm looking at places where, like, where I can run and hide. And if you're really starting to see inflation impact that segment, I really think you really, your antennae have to raise and you've got to start understanding what impact this is going to have on the broader market. Yeah, and, and Pete, I mean, Jack Daniels is booming, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the spirits is absolutely, you know, it's, it's been volatile, but it sounds like it's, it's going extremely well, extremely strong. I'd like to hit on this Altria real quick, though. The, the idea that people are willing to or need to move away from the higher end to the lower end of, of cigarettes, that tells us a lot about inflation, right? I mean, I, I think that's it's an amazing thing, and, and, and I thought this analyst did a great job. So it's a name that I have liked in the past. I've actually had some pretty good rides. And when you look at the year-to-date performance, it was good until today. So I think it's something that I think it's very important. I think a lot of what they pointed out makes so much sense right now because of the fact that people are having to scale down and scale back and go to more generic as opposed to being in, the, in what they'd like to be doing, which would be the higher end of cigarettes right now. You wonder if it's going to happen in liquor, too? You know, go for Jack Daniels, the Mad Dog 2020. Yeah. Don't do that. All right, coming up, open houses closing down. The half-century milestone hit in the mortgage market and the impact it is having on home builders. We're going to bring you the details in Fast Money Returns. Here's a tip for your money, your future. Holding on to some cash is critical in a market downturn. Yet a recent poll by Morning Consult finds only 37% of boomers say they've made progress in creating an emergency fund. Financial advisors recommend keeping sufficient cash reserves in a savings account that is separate from your investments. That way you don't have to tap into equities or other long-term assets if you need money and can avoid locking in losses when stocks slide. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, welcome back. A ton of big names on Mad Money tonight. Jim's in San Francisco all week. He's speaking with the heads of Cisco, Okta, and Snowflake. Catch those interviews at the top of the hour, only on Mad Money. Meantime, check out the home builders under pressure. Get this. New numbers show that mortgage demand fell to its lowest level in 22 years. Wow. Rising rates and slowing home sales not helping the situation. Guy Dami, what do you make of this? Well, I mean, it's a witch's brew, as they say. Affordability's never been worse either, and that happened extraordinarily quickly. I mean, you just mentioned it. 30-year rates doubled in the course of a few months, seemingly, and the rug's been pulled out from everybody. The question is, is a 36% move in a name like DHI, for example, from its all-time high in December to levels now enough, or is there more pain ahead? I think there's more pain ahead, but there's going to come a point, especially for a name like uh, DHI, we're just on valuation alone. You got to take a shot. Unfortunately, I think that level is probably closer to 65 than 72. Pete, home builder take. Yeah, and I would agree with Guy. I mean, it was all driven, of course. Uh, you had the pandemic. You had that great move. Stock was 34 bucks at the lows and ran all the way up to over 110 or whatever it was. So. You know, it makes sense. A lot of that was built in because of what we were going through. People were leaving the the cities, going to all different parts of the country outside of major cities. 
and now all of a sudden you've got the rates going up. So, of course, you're going to give some back, and we've given a lot back. But I think Guy's right. I think around 65 or so, I think that's going to be a base where we can actually start to see the stock start to rise again. Yeah, and I just say this, you know, when Pete just mentions the dynamics about the pandemic and the migrations and, and, you know, people work from home, well, that's about to end. And I'll tell you why it's about to end, because unemployment's about to tick up, right? We're back at pre-pandemic levels here. Those were 40-year lows. You're seeing new, um, you know, announcements of job cuts every day. And I think that's the thing that probably tips the scales on the housing market right here, other than inflation, other than, uh, you know, rates going higher. So you're saying they're going to lose, employees are going to lose the power they've got now. They're going to be forced to go back to the office. Office because yes. job markets get yes. tighter. Yes. Bono, a lot of yeses. Bono and Ison, are you a yes or a no? And now it's a game. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes to DHI. Um, you know, if you look at like their, their their debt to cap and the gross margins, I think that's another one. I have another name for you, actually, though. Toll Brothers, and I think mm. this one, you know, probably doesn't get the shock that the others do. DHI, they they've made their case for that. Toll Brothers, if you look at their average sale price, they're, they're appealing to a consumer that's on the higher end. And if you really drill down into the housing numbers, what's really being affected are those injury-level homes, those first-time home buyers. Those are who are disproportionately, be, disproportionately being affected. Toll doesn't really appeal to that consumer. And so for that reason, I think of them on a relative basis, DHI and Toll are likely where you want to be. Yeah, Guy, final comment. Listen, four and a half times forward earnings for Toll, four and a half. And lumber prices have come down. And there are some things yeah. that are on their sides. The contrarian will say the time to buy these stocks are when valuations are at their peak, not at these trough valuations. I mean, that's another conversation probably when we have more time. But I understand what you're saying. I think we all collectively have said, you know, these stocks have clearly taken a haircut since the end of last year, beginning of this year. The question is, is it enough in this environment Unfortunately, I don't think it is. But if you're looking for levels, uh, Bono would just mentioned one for toll. And I think Pete and I sort of hit it in terms of DHI. There are going to be levels where these stocks become extraordinarily tradable. We're just not there yet. Okay, we'll leave it there. Up next on Fast Money, your final trades. Stick around. Time now for your final trades. Go around the horn and we're going to kick it off with Guy tonight. Guy. San Diego High School. I love it. Uh, Starbucks coming back online in mainland China. Check it out. San Diego, founded by the Germans in 1909. Pete. I'm going to stick with the China theme. I'm going to give you FXI. All that call buying, I think it's going higher. Bono win. If you want exposure to the energy complex, but you're worried about the high beta stuff, take a look at some of the refiners. How about MRO? How about it, Dan? Yeah, so we were talking about that Intel. Um, wasn't a pre-announcement, kind of soft guide down. I think we're going to see a lot more of it. As I said, I think the SMH, you know, I just don't see this thing working higher from here. Might the markets rally a little bit in the quarter end? But I think as we get into Q3, you want to sell them. SMH, Semiconductor ETF, not shaking my head. But I'm that too. Thanks for watching Fast Money tonight, everybody. Mad Money on the West Coast with Jim starts right now. Take care. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.